0: From WBEZ Chicago and Public Radio International. It's This American Life. I'm Ira Glass. Okay, here is something that we did not expect. Check this out. This was recorded on a stage in Brooklyn, St. Francis College. To be or not to be, that is the question. Same month in Hawaii, on the island of Oahu. To be or not to be, that is the question. Whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and
1: arrows of outrageous fortune or to take arms against a
0: sea of troubles and by opposing, end them. Same month, a professional company in Boston, Massachusetts at the Public Theater.
2: Whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune or to take arms against a sea of troubles and by opposing, end them. (laughs)
0: In Colorado, at Camp Shakespeare, you can actually hear the sneakers of the teenage Hamlet squeaking. Why do you go about to recover the wind of me?
3: Oh my lord, if my duty be too bold.
0: And at the I Bay Area Shakespeare Camp, presented by the San Francisco Shakespeare Festival, the kids put on a production that they have concocted that is made up entirely of death scenes from different Shakespeare plays. Death scenes because um, kids love death scenes.
4: No, no, the drink, the drink! Oh, my dear Hamlet, the drink, the drink, I am poisoned!
0: Eight year old Marissa Graham grabs her throat like a cat in a violent cartoon. Everyone in the production is eight, except for Polonius, who's six.
3: The
4: rest is silent. <laughs>
0: There's actually no way to tell how many productions of Hamlet are up in any given month. In summer 2002, when we first broadcast today's show, when we made these recordings, the American Theatre website listed 12 theatres doing Shakespeare's Hamlet. 11 productions of the play I Hate Hamlet, one production of something called Hamlet Dreams, and one theatre doing the dreadful and feared Hamlet Machine. Of course, Hamlet itself is kind of a weird play. The central character is in a situation that very few of us are ever going to find ourselves in. His uncle killed his father and then married his mother in order to become the king. The play is four hours long. The main conflict of the play is a guy debating in long, complicated monologues whether or not he should kill somebody. What is there in that for most of us to relate to? Unless, of course, we happen to be murderers. And what would the play be like if it were actually performed by murderers and other violent criminals? What would they see that the rest of us do not? Well, today in our program, we answer that question. And the answer is a lot. Over the course of six months, reporter Jack Hitt visited prisoners at the Missouri Eastern Correctional Center, which is a high security prison, from their first rehearsal to their last performance of Act Five of Shakespeare's Hamlet. We're devoting our entire program today to the drama that he found there. Our program today, Act Five, we bring you what we believe is one of the most evocative productions of Shakespeare done anywhere in 2002, one that you would have had a hard time getting tickets to. It was only performed in prison. Here's Jack
5: Hitt. The first thing they hand me when I pass through the thick iron doors is a tiny black box called a screamer. Pull the cord attached and a phalanx of armed guards will sweep from all points of the prison and try to rescue me. I keep it in my pocket as I enter a huge yard with more than a thousand prisoners wandering around. Some of the guys are playing handball against walls. Some are lifting weights as I walk across. Most are friendly. A couple of the skinheads, their arms dense with spider tattoos, narrow their eyes as I pass. Across the yard, there's a big building. A long corridor leads to a door marked Education Annex. Inside, there's room D-168, where a small, white-haired woman, Agnes Wilcox, is holding auditions for Hamlet.
3: Let me see. If you're not Hamlet, Horatio, Laertes, Claudius, or Fortinbras, um, would you write down roles that interest you? Those roles are Clown 1 and 2. We've got Osric.
5: Dressed in loose prison uniforms, Lord. the actors sit around tables in this cinder block classroom Ambassador. beneath inspirational slogans Believe in yourself, think positively. The aspiring cast All is half black, straight. half white, and ranges from young lifers in their 20s to old timers in their 50s. Because it's against the rules to congregate an audience of felons for the four hours it would take to perform the whole play, Agnes has staged one act every six months, starting in December 1989. Uh, could we go back Tonight to is the first read-through for man Act man Five, the final man. bloody climax. What Many man of the inmates here college college. never finished high school, no and all they had known of Shakespeare was the phrase, to be or man not neither. to be. Tonight they are hearing some of the other famous speeches for the first time.
6: A pestilence on him for a mad rouge. Rogue. Rogue. He poured a flax. flagon Flagon. a flagon of rhenish rhenish on my head once this same skull sir was sure
7: yorick's skull the king's gesture alas for yorick i knew him Horatio, a fellow of infinite jest of most excellent fancy
5: most readers yeah, with any cast are terrible This one is now terrible too uh, The actors uh, know it But they plow on through the script An inmate named Paul Who serves as Agnes's assistant director Explains why First
7: two reacts. three acts I thought, oh no, well, there's no way uh, There's no way we're going to get this thing down And go and do a live performance And uh, doing soliloquy two pages long I thought, there's no, no This is, this is impossible But what well I learned in here I guess from performing it and uh, hearing it done time again was the it'll be okay,
5: it'll work out. The local critics agreed with Paul. The Act 4 performance earned a review in the St. Louis paper. The actors were said to be commanding and compelling. For the entire performance, the reviewer wrote, a 400-year-old text is restored to freshness. It seemed hard to imagine. I've seen Hamlet a dozen times. I've seen Kevin Kline do it at the public theater. I saw the famous Diane Venora version three nights in a row. I even saw Ingmar Bergman's production done in Brooklyn, performed entirely in Swedish. What else is there to learn from watching another Hamlet? But the truth is, this production was different, because this is a play about a man pondering a violent crime and its consequences, performed by violent criminals living out those consequences. After hanging out with this group of convicted actors for six months, I did discover something. I didn't know anything about Hamlet. Remember how it starts. Hamlet sees his father's ghost, who explains he was murdered by Claudius, Hamlet's uncle. The ghost commands Hamlet to avenge his death by killing Claudius. The play is basically Hamlet pondering this single horrific action and whether he can be the man to do it, to be or not to be. These days, when people say the name Hamlet, it's usually just a metaphor, shorthand for somebody who is afraid to act, who dithers and thinks too much. We almost forget just what action Hamlet was contemplating. These actors haven't forgotten. My name is Manuel Johnson, and I'm 36 years old. I'm here
8: for two first-degree assaults.
5: I play Hamlet. When you're on stage doing Hamlet, what do you draw upon in your own experience to make the the character come to life? The idea of wanting to hurt
0: someone. I have experienced hurting someone to you know to to the point of their you know, their life may be in danger. I was a very confused and angry person and, you know, it escalated into, you know, me shooting uh, two people and leaving them for dead.
2: Uh, my name is Chris Harris. I'm 38 years old.
5: and. I play the fourth character of Hamlet let me explain something the character of Hamlet is played by four people they are all on stage at the same time taking turns delivering the lines Agnes did this partly to give more actors speaking roles and not saddle any one man with all that dialogue but as theater it works Hamlet's role is full of long soliloquies and rhetorical asides this small gang of Hamlet's which mutters to itself and laughs at its own jokes nicely captures that fractured quality of Hamlet's different personalities. And it's also bonded the four actors together. They call themselves the Hamlets and constantly talk about their character. To Chris, it seems like Hamlet is just the fifth guy in their odd clique, another criminal with a complicated past.
2: Let me put it in terms of uh, the year 2000. What we have is an upper-middle-class youngster, 19, 20 years old, uh, who comes from a well-to-do family. You know, they own quite a bit of land. Uh, the people in the small town respect them and love them. And uh, his uncle uh, murdered his father and is now married to his mother. So, I mean, all kinds of serious issues there. <laughs> all kinds.
5: Chris and the Hamlets practice alone most days. Finding time when the four can just get together by themselves is tough when there's always a thousand inmates around. So they do it where they can. On every Sunday after the noon meal, the four of us will
2: assemble. We'll have our little gray Hamlet books, and we'll proceed down to the track. And if you were simply walking by, what you'd probably hear is you'd hear this chatter of somebody giving their lines clearly. The rest of us, with our heads down on the books, walking the line. Now, there are, there are people, because there are benches, that are all throughout the inside of the track. So there are people that actually watch us. So you'll hear this old English-style speech, you know, whole uh, Horatio, and these people are like,
5: Ho what? One of the problems of doing any play in prison is that being a good actor is the exact emotional opposite of what it takes to be a successful inmate. Rather than close off all feeling and look tough, you have to open your vulnerable self up and withstand often cruel laughter as you try to find some authentic emotion within you. In this way, a level 4 high security prison is no different from high school. And so, most of the inmates who audition for Agnes tend to be, you know, actory people. The theater types of prison. Back in 1999, they just had to put up with abuse from the bigger, meaner inmates. But that changed. changed. In fact, a lot changed after Agnes cast the role of Hamlet's best friend. My name is Derek Big Hutch Hutchison.
9: I play Horatio, the scholar.
5: You might be surprised to learn that Derek Big Hutch Hutchison is big. He has a smooth, bald skull and hooded, threatening eyes. The kind of guy that if you met him, you might think he's probably serving 120 years for armed robberies and that would be correct. Hutch isn't like the rest of the cast, and he's the first person to tell you. In prison, you got this hierarchy system. Listen, let's
9: compare it to the ocean. You got the minnows, and you got the killer whale. Minnows being the lowest killer whale the highest. So, which are you, Big Hutch? I'm the blue whale. (laughs) (laughs) Right. That mean I control the killer whales... And I can eat up them minnows if I want. (laughs) And, I mean, that's how it is. Most of the guys in Hamlet, they're minnows. I mean, I
10: don't normally would associate with them. Well, as he puts it,
5: the killer whale versus the guppies. We're all guppies, and he's the killer whale. That's Tim, who plays Ostrich. And as a minnow slash guppy, his take is a little different.
10: In dealing with an individual like a killer whale... Uh, a lot of it's a lot of even for him is a lot of show. The guys see him out in the yard all right, and now some of the guys that have come into Hamlet see him how he is in acting and, and the
5: seriousness that he takes uh, he 's not what his persona is in other words he 's an actor, but Big Hutch is also a critic. His criticism is sharp and extends to places most actors avoid his own character, Horatio I think he will jump for real. Really? I think he a
9: charm. Yeah. I mean, he's supposed to be cool with Hamlet, and they're best friends, but I think Orazio's is just somebody, uh, a sounding boy for Hamlet. I mean, the majority of his lines is, hey my lord, yes, my lord. I mean, if we're friends, we're going to communicate better than that. <laughs> I mean, you're going to tell me your deepest secrets. So I want to know what you in the field you did last night. I believe that he should have been a little bit, show me that I'm truly Hamlet's friend. Don't wait till I get to the end of Act 5 and I'm getting ready to drink a cup of poison and you stop me. You know? Let me know down the line, man, that I'm really
5: your friend. You know? Have you ever heard anybody talk about Shakespeare's characters this way? Hutch was always doing this, talking tough, but then betraying a real gift for literary criticism. Call it his inner minnow. In fact, he pointed out a weakness in the structure of the story I'd never heard before in all my experience with the play, that Hamlet's dilemma over killing Claudius isn't really much of a dilemma. I don't see
9: the conflict. I don't see what Hamlet is dealing with, man. Oh, I should kill a king now. I shouldn't kill him now. No, you knew once your father said revenge him, you knew you was going to do this. So what's the hubbub about? Do it. I mean, that's the same way. I couldn't see somebody raping my daughter or something and just sitting around. No, 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 no. I got to do you, man, and that's just... You done. That's why I think Hamlet's an old minnow,
5: too, man. You know, you know... Are there no reasons to delay taking swift action, even if you 're convinced that you 've been wronged i mean that 's why he stages the play within the play right to make sure that Claudius is the bad guy
9: see that 's where we got to go back now if i 'm strong enough to believe in ghosts then, then i 'm strong enough to believe what the ghosts tell me if i 'm strong
5: enough to believe you 're a ghost. <laughs> Then I'm sure you know what happened to you. Once Hutch got on this riff, he kept going. Denmark's a prison, Hamlet tells Rosencrantz in Act Two, and Hutch says you could do a version of the play that takes this central metaphor literally. All the characters in the play are types he sees in the yard every day the Claudiuses, who'll do anything for the emblems of power money, drugs, high end tennis shoes, Poloniuses, who kiss up to the powerful, Rosencrantz and Gildersterns, Rats, he called them, spies who run to the administration with information. And in Hutch's version, he solves the play's structural problem, fabricating a true dilemma for Hamlet by giving him good reasons to kill Claudius and not to kill him.
9: Just the way it would happen. Claudius killed this guy here because guy had the biggest dope business in prison or something. Gergie will be some sissy. You find them everywhere in prison. But the guy they killed be Hamlet's brother. So now, being in the prison world, he must defend that honor. But he got a girl talking about you only got five years. You know, you did two, do one more, they gonna parole you. Come on home. Because I love you and I'm, 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 I'm. He got another brother in business out there that he can get with, to raise his status. so he got, he got all these things to look forward to on the street. But if he let that killing go, he'll have the roughest three years of his entire life. He'll be the piss pot of the institution, so I mean he got this dilemma. Would he be strong enough to to fly there and get out there? Hush wouldn't I ain't gonna lie hush.
5: Two months after my visit with Hutch at the first read-through, I was cleared once again into the old classroom. The actors tell me they've been practicing their lines wherever they can, often shouting them from cell to cell. Agnes has also had local professors come in and lecture. She assigns the cast essays to write about their characters, and the Hamlets have been walking the track, memorizing their lines. As has Danny the gravedigger. This rehearsal, they are already tinkering with tempo and intonation. That first read-through seems like eons ago.
6: He poured a flagon of rhenish on my head once. This same skull, sir, was, sir, Yorick's skull, the king's jester. This? Even that.
7: Alas, poor Yorick. I knew him, Horatio.
2: He has borne me on his back a thousand times.
7: And now, hoard in my imagination, it is. My gorge rises at it.
5: A lot of what you see looks like any rehearsal. Agnes is taking notes, a couple of guys are reading to themselves, and the occasional line reading devolves into laughter.
10: I will fight with him upon the, this thing.
5: <laughs> The scene that's really slaying everyone tonight is the first appearance of Osric, the king's toadying courtier.
10: Sweet lord, if your lordship were at leisure, I should impart a thing to you from his majesty. And
3: just talk, <laughs> just talk to Paul. Just talk
10: to Paul. Just talk to Paul. Yeah. Okay. My name is Timothy Lance. I'm 38 years old, and I play the role of Osric. Osric uh, is what they call a fop, which a lot of people tend to say, "Well, he's you know, his it's a sexual gender thing where he's homosexual or whatever." But he's not. What he is is a
5: uh, a king groupie. I want to be. Tim is the one member of the cast with screen time, one second of it. He used to live in California, and in a Frankie Avalon, Annette Funicello revival, he was in the background in one fleeting camera pan, hitting a volleyball. Tim once ran a trucking company, and like most of the cast, doesn't want to discuss his crime. But he does want to talk about how he researched his character in the TV room.
10: There are so many um, fops in television and movies. Nathan Lane was, was a little bit too much. I think Robin Williams was a little too hyper. The one that Uh, That really stood out was uh, David Hyde Pierce, his uh, character of Niles Crane. I'd watch Frasier and kind of look at at how he did things and his mannerisms, and it worked out pretty good. I mean, sir, for his weapon, but in the imputation laid on him by them in his need, he's unfellowed. What's his weapon? Rapier and dagger. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
5: do you think your audience is going to be able to draw the very sort of fine distinction you're making between a fop and and um a gay person yeah not really to me this seemed like an especially risky interpretation of the part but tim explains that folks on the outside have a tv movie understanding of prison sexuality There is a small group of gay prisoners in the closet, another smaller group that is actually out, and then there's the vast majority of prisoners, straight men, not having any sex at all. Just like outside, Tim says.
3: Okay, gentle folk, let's refocus. We're gonna start where Laertes leaps into the grave.
5: Putting on a play in prison is different. First, Agnes always has to deal with some last-minute crisis. Tonight, Um, one of the Hamlets can't come. He was assaulted uh, and was placed in solitary for protection. Plus, everyone must be strip-searched in the side room, before and after every meeting with Agnes or with me. Worse, it's incredibly hot. The room is stifling. The only relief is an ancient stand-up fan in the corner. And a lot of the time, the actors are just trying to figure out what their lines mean. Here's Chris, one of the Hamlets. There is a, uh, a piece of dialogue I give in 5 2,
2: in which I'm, I'm talking to Horatio about how I got Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. And it starts like, Up from my cabin, sea gown scarfed about me. Up from my cabin, my sea gown scarfed about me. I didn't know what that meant. And, and one thing Agnes will do, she'll stop us in, in midline and she says, What does that mean?
3: Okay, let's go back. Okay. Remember that what you're wrapped in is not a cloak. It's fog. How do you describe it? Sea gowns. Your sea gowns.
2: Scarfed about me. Yes. Your sea gown scarfed about, uh, yeah. gowns. Gown scarfed oh, about yeah. you is fog. I knew that. Yeah. 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 But now you gotta, now you got to act it. The sea gown yeah. scarfed about when, me when is the surface. fog. I'm out at night. Up from my cabin, my And it's the flow of the words. Up from my cabin, sea gown scarfed about me groped-eye-in-the-dark to find out them. Shakespeare really put some work in this, and this is the only play I've really studied from him, but he really is good.
5: After a few months, the rehearsals begin to resemble a routine. They always start with some silly voice relaxation exercises. The cast is such a mix. There's Chris, who is a member of Toastmasters International, and when not rehearsing, likes to listen to Journey on his Walkman, while his good pal Brat, a former gangbanger, has a subscription to Lapidary magazine. Then there's Edgar, a former post office employee, and Mike, the fight coordinator and a devout Wiccan. And then Stan, who's obviously a college-educated businessman, now trying his hand at writing Zane Westerns. And, of course, there's Hutch, the killer whale. What keeps them coming back to D-168, where Agnes, this tiny, tough lady, bosses them around? Here's Edgar.
8: She makes us feel human, man. She really does. When I go in there, I have to take my clothes off and get butt naked and bend over and spread my cheeks so some man can look up my butt. You know, all of the the, 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 humili- the humiliating things that they do to us here. And when she comes in and does what she does for that minute, the two and a half hours, all these guys with PhDs and and, and, and can be doing other things. They come in, I at least can
7: feel human in here. I think this has taken me to being sane for just one day. <laughs> just one day I'm sane enough, you know?
5: This is Brat Jones, another one of the Hamlets.
7: If you don't keep exercising your mind, then you start to lose it, right? <laughs> is that, you know, that's possible, right? This gives me opportunity to see a, a, a society beyond what I'm used to. I'm familiar with rap music and, and videos and bit butts on the TV and all that, but let me come back to something that I'm not familiar with. You know, let me get into something else. You know, that opened, that did open my eyes into getting to reading Sylvia Platt and Frost and, and and Wadsworth and different other people.
5: Everybody had powerful answers for why they were in the play. One guy with a third-grade education level said that he was surprised to find out that he wasn't stupid, just uneducated. And for almost all of them, acting was beside the point. But one inmate got bit by the drama bug and bit hard. His first step onto the boards was a revelation.
1: I'm James Word. I'm 32 years old, and I play the role of Laertes. My wife told me that I should be an actor. She's had the opportunity to see me deal with certain people on certain levels, and she's seen me change
5: my... <laughs> right. Certain people on certain levels. Okay, come on. let's, uh, let's As we say in the, uh, in the editorial business, let's air that out a little bit.
1: <laughs> well, I've always wanted to be a con, and I've always wanted people to like me. I wanted to be liked. And the environment that I was in, people liked the bad guy. You know, those were the heroes in the, in our neighborhoods, the bad guy. And so I went from this real quiet church guy to this real bad guy, you know. And i get around them, and I'd be like, yeah, I'm this and that, you know, and, and what acted. You know what I'm saying? Act big, bad, tough, and I don't care when that really wasn't me. Because when I went home at night, I felt bad about what I did and most of the time was scared to death doing what I was doing. And my wife saw that, you know, and that's why... I think that's one of the reasons why she's like, you can be an actor.
5: James Word looks like an actor. He's young and handsome with a smile that can carry him through just about any situation. He plays Laertes, the brother of Ophelia. For the first few acts, Laertes was played by an Amish pedophile. That's another story. But the Amish pedophile got transferred, and so it's almost legend in the prison now. Like something out of 42nd Street, James Word stepped into the role. He created a sensation among the cast when they realized what a really forceful performance could do for a character. Word made a lasting impression, even on the killer whale.
9: You come along and act four, and you get this guy, James Word, Words playing T. He was he was hitting it, especially when he was mourning the devil Ophelia. It was the same four. Something. He makes his interest, and he's finna be after the king and the queen. Stop him. Hold up, lads. And, man, you should have seen this guy, Word, man. He come in there like drop to his knees, and he did. Why? Why? I say, man. That should have been my part then.
1: I knew I had done a good job. (laughs) You know, I did. I knew I had done a good job. But when it was over, you know, and everybody was leaving and shaking hands and interacting with each other, the comments that was coming afterwards, you know, we had our questions and answers. And, you know, so many people was, man, you were so good. Have you done this before? You should do this more. You should continue this, you know. And. That feeling for me was just it was one of the best feelings I've ever felt. It was like the it was like the day my daughter was born. And it made me want to be better. Not just in acting. I mean, it just opened up a whole world for me. You know, I'm like, "Man, if I apply myself, you know, I can pretty much do whatever I want."
8: I'll start
4: that over.
1: Oh, trouble, woe, fall ten times trouble on that cursed head, whose wicked deed thy most ingenious sense deprived thee of. Now, pile your dust upon the quick and dead, till of this flat a mountain you have made to overtop old Pelion. Or the sky is head of Blue Olympus.
5: The first chance I get to see Word in action is at tonight's rehearsal, where Laertes goes to the grave of his sister Ophelia. Word was a natural and talked about acting that way too. Laertes' emotions in the final act roller coaster from grief to fury to shameful regret. To pull it off, Word channels Laertes' character in a way that should make any method actor cringe with jealousy.
1: Coming into Act Four, he was very angry, violently angry. And I can identify with that, and I can play that role very well because I've been playing that role all my life. Must there no more be done? No more be done. Lay her in the earth, and from her fair and unpolluted flesh may violet spring. I tell thee, O charlest priest, a ministering angel shall my sister be when thou liest howling. You know what I'm saying? And Larrates, he falls into the manipulation, and he becomes a bad guy for a little while because he's being deceitful now you know it, I never really looked at it and s- somewhat cowardly and I can relate that to my past life as a criminal to put a gun in somebody's face that's an unfair advantage you know so and that's a cowardly act that's what criminals are we're cowards you know when we are criminals we are cowards
5: do you feel like you can be Laertes because so much of Laertes is inside James' word? I am
1: Laertes.
5: I am.
0: I am. Coming up, with the ghost of Hamlet's father can teach you about murder, in a minute from Chicago Public Radio and Public Radio International when our program continues. It's His American Life, I'm Ira Glass. If you're just tuning in, what we're doing today is that we're devoting our whole show to Jack Hitt's story from the Missouri Eastern Correctional Center, where over the course of six months, Jack watched Prisoners rehearse and stage Act Five of Hamlet. Again,
5: here's Jack. As the performance date grew closer and I spoke to more and more of the actors, it became clear that each actor used his past in dense psychological ways to understand his part. All the Hamlets saw themselves in their version of the Dane, and Edgar would stop me in the hall to tell me that he thought evil King Claudius had some redeeming qualities. But for one actor, the relationship was even more complicated. He used his part to help understand his past.
6: My name is Danny Waller. I'm 44 years old. Uh, the character that I've played uh, was the ghost of Hamlet's father. The reason I chose that uh, when I first read the the script, the words jumped out at me, and uh, they made me feel things that i haven't felt before
5: uh, <clears throat> what's what what in your what in your experience drew you to those particular words uh,
6: I took a man 's life and uh I felt he was talking to me through that, that he, uh, he wanted me to know what I put him through. Uh, I am thy father's spirit, doomed for a certain term to walk the night, and for the day confined to fasting fires, till the foul crimes done in my days of nature are burnt, purged away. But that I am forbid to tell the secrets of my prison house. I could a tale unfold whose lightest words would harrow up thy soul, freeze thy young blood, and make thy two eyes like stars start from their spheres. There's one other spot that goes like this. Thus was I sleeping, by a brother's hand of life, of crown, of queen at once dispatched, cut off even in the blossoms of my sin, no reckoning made, but sent to my account with all my imperfections on my head. And uh, it was pretty much the same way with him. He, he was, he was uh, taken before his time.
5: So when you, when you read the character, are you, do you feel like... Um, who's talking when you say those lines? i'm I'm the body up
6: there uh, but the words are coming from mostly uh, uh, william pride the the man that i uh killed he uh he's He's mostly the one talking.
3: not much defense between the actor and the word as you get with an actor who puts his or her training between the two. These guys call it like they see it, and it's true. It's just dead true.
5: That's Agnes, the director. Besides putting on plays at the Missouri Eastern Correctional Center visiting room, she's mounted shows on more familiar stages, the acclaimed actor Studio in New York, the Berkshire Festival in Stockbridge, in the Eugene O'Neill Theater Center in Connecticut. After becoming the artistic director of the new theater in St. Louis, she started an outreach program to take professional actors doing dramatic works by writers like Don DeLillo and perform them before prison audiences. In time, the prisoners became the actors. And in more time, this side project took over her entire theater company. Now, this is what she does, directing prisoners who may not have the chops of professional actors but have an intimacy with the material that doesn't exist anywhere else.
3: When Claudius is in the chapel and speaks about his sin and his regret and his ability to undo it, it broke my heart because the man playing it felt all of those things fully. And, and you know, I know these guys have deep regrets. But it was palpable. The audience was stunned. You could hear a pin drop. And that was especially true with the inmate audience. He says, Oh, my offense is rank. It smells to heaven. It It hath the primal eldest curse upon it. A brother's murder. A brother's murder.
8: Pray can I not. Pray can I not, though inclination be sharp as will. My stronger guilt defeats my strong intent. What if this cursed hand were thicker than itself with brother's blood? Is there not rain enough in the sweet heavens to wash it white as snow? My name is Edgar Evans, and I'm I'm 39 years old, and and I play the uh, king, King Claudius, in uh, Hamlet. And like a man to double business bound, I stand in pause where I should first begin and both neglect. I don't consider myself no great actor or nothing, but um, I try to do the best I can. And when I did the speech, um, I was looking upward. The chapel was at the incline there. And I was just looking up toward the top, and it's like no one was there but me. I literally, I honestly didn't see a soul in a chapel when I was saying this. Maybe even, and I'm just, you know, I'm not saying this, would, it seemed almost like I was praying this actual um, uh, speech to God. But oh, what form of prayer can serve my turn? Forgive me my foul murder. That cannot be since I am still possessed of those effects for which I did the murder, my crown, my own ambition, and my queen. I have a wife and four kids. We and even to the teeth by being incarcerated, I felt that I've really let them down. What, um, what rest? I, when I said that speech, and right. my wife was here in the visiting yep. room. What I don't know if it, it had not. an impact on her. I don't even know if she truly understood all of the content. What can it not? Um, But um, Yet what can it I wanted her to hear that speech more than anybody. Oh, wretched state. Oh, bosom black as death. Oh, limed soul struggling to be free, art more engaged. Help angels make assay. Bow, stubborn knee, and hearts with string of steel. Be soft as sinews of the newborn babe. All may be well.
5: Edgar wouldn't tell me his crime. Although I found myself playing a constant guessing game with all of them about this, they wouldn't discuss the past, That was then, they said. This is now. But I had to know. So one morning, instead of visiting, I went to downtown St. Louis, not far from the Arch, and sat in a records depository, reading old case files. It was more horrible than I thought. One guy I particularly liked shot a man in the head twice at point-blank range. Another of my new friends raped his pubescent daughter, impregnating her. Later there was an abortion. Another friend grabbed a man getting out of a car put a gun to his chest during a robbery, and pulled the trigger. Others had sodomized children, younger children, the age of my own children. I didn't fall asleep for a long time in my frigid Ramada Inn room. At three in the morning, I had one of those cinematic nightmares. I dreamed that a very good friend of mine, an editor at a magazine, had me over to dinner. She got angry with someone else there, pulled out a gun, and plugged him twice, right in the face. Then she asked me not to talk about it with anybody. I panicked, and the next thing I knew I was sitting up in my hotel bed, panting like a sprinter. It didn't take Freud to figure out what it meant. Someone I knew and liked was a murderer. I wanted to talk to the cast about this, but I was anxious. I know this sounds crazy, but I was afraid I might hurt their feelings. I felt like they had betrayed me. But strangely, I felt that I had betrayed them too. There was only one day left to talk, just before the final performance. So, before curtain... I asked Brad to sit down with me. I could barely spit out my question. You know, we came in here 3 months ago or 5 months ago and met y'all for the first time as, as actors. And so yesterday we decided to go down to City Hall and read everybody's record. And I have to say since we met, you know, since I met you as an actor first and now I know what you did, it's it's very hard for me to wrap my mind around this other guy that's on paper. And so I want to know how you do it. How do you square the, the Brat Jones of, what it was it, 13 years ago? Yeah. Yeah. With the one that I see on the stage tonight.
7: It's taken a lot of practice and trying to discover who I am now. It's not been easy. I was off into the drugs and all those things when I got locked up for that case. And uh, I slowly had to come out of those things. Because I always knew in the back of my mind that I had already went to the lowest point in life. So now it was time to see what I could do as far as going to the highest point in life.
5: It was a hard question for any of them to answer. They all said the same thing. But I'm this guy now. I'm not that guy. Are we forever the prisoner of our actions? It's a good question. It was Hamlet's question. And it's the unresolvable conflict in our penal system. Why do we put people in jail? To rehabilitate them and restore them to our company? Or to punish them, regardless of how much they might change? One can't hold both these ideas in one's mind simultaneously. That's why our prison debates on TV and in Congress are so vehement and incoherent. The two sides cannot be squared by mere politics. They can't even be squared by the people at the center of the debate. Here's Danny.
6: When I I first... uh... Got this sentence. I said, "Yeah, I, uh, I'll I'll go ahead and just die in here because I don't deserve to be out there the way I am." You know, I was 13, 14 years ago, and uh, but a person changes. Uh, I'm no longer the criminal I used to be. Uh, I know that I will not do any other crimes out there, uh, but. I took a man's life. Do I deserve to be out there? Uh, I cannot say.
1: Hamlet, thou art slain. No medicine in the world can do thee good. Envy is not in half an hour's life. No medicine in the work. Blah blah blah. I can't get it. I forgot.
7: What? The treacherous instrument. All
5: right. It's opening night. Dress rehearsal. Word has flubbed his line again. Things aren't going well. The only time the authorities would allow a dress rehearsal is in the hour before actual curtain. This is the first time the cast has seen the acting stage. The first time in costume. The first time they have real props—skulls and shovels. The shovel is a story in itself. Given every prison fear of shovels, you can use them to dig tunnels. Remember, the authorities insisted on using only a flimsy cardboard replica. Everyone is tense, even Agnes.
3: Guys, let's double the pace so we can get through this. Get it all out. The site is dismal.
9: The site is dismal.
3: And our affairs? Our uh,
5: first meeting. We are in the prison chapel where their first performance will be held before an audience of inmates. Six months after my first visit, it is, at last, showtime. Alan, how you doing today? Armed guards let the audience in the door one by one. Agnes calls her actors together in a corner and gives them the final pep talk. Paul, Edgar, could I have you? Okay. Okay, team.
3: Things to think about. Um... Make sure to stand still on yours and other people's punchlines. If something falls apart, pick it up. Uh, Go somewhere with it. Make up words. I don't think anybody here has memorized it, so we're safe. (laughs) And mostly, this afternoon, people were working so hard. I don't think you had much fun. Hard work's behind us. This is the night to just... Have a blast.
0: Okay,
3: one for the team. One for the team. Ready? One for the team. One! <laughs>
5: <laughs> Once the play starts, Danny and Stan deliver their lines okay. But all that antique Elizabethan wordplay isn't connecting with the audience. But then midway through the scene, the crowd starts to really respond to the emotion in Ophelia's funeral march. Laertes is the last mourner, humming at the side of the grave, tossing rose petals on her corpse. Right away, the action picks up. The hamlets appear, taunting Laertes about the sincerity of his grief. They quarrel and exchange insults. A duel is proposed, which culminates in the last sword fight scene. Most directors block this scene as a professional fencing match. Agnes has it looking like a knife fight in an alley. The audience totally gets it. Word holds his arms slightly out from his sides, his hand gripping his sword like he would a shiv. He and one of the hamlets are circling each other like thugs. Word jerks his shoulders forward, a pure back-alley feint, a fake move meant to intimidate his opponent, something all of them have probably seen right in the yard. (laughs) (laughs) Then the room goes quiet as the actors start slicing one another, leading to Laertes' death scene.
1: Uh, Hamlet Thou art slain man. No medicine in the world Can do thee good In thee It's not in half an hour's life The treacherous instrument Is in your hand yeah. Unbated and envenomed. The foul practice It's turned itself on me, lo, here I lie, never to rise again. Exchange forgiveness with me, noble Hamlet, that mine and my father's death be not upon thee.
5: The audience, like a living thing, leans forward in unison to watch words slide down the chapel wall and die. There are no cackles of discomfort, no shouts from the gallery, just breathless silence, the silence of recognition. In all, there were three performances, and on the final night, before Family and Dignitaries, the entire cast found the magic that Paul said would happen during that first read-through. The actors knew that this would be the last time they'd get to perform as a group. So when Danny and Stan came out for their final gravedigger appearance, somehow those Elizabethan jokes worked.
6: are a heathen? How dost thou understand the scripture? The scripture says Adam dig. Could he dig without arms? <laughs>
5: Having seen every performance, I can testify, the actors rose above their talents in that last show. Mike and Hudson as the belligerent priests, Buck and Tommy as the ambassadors, Sylvester's Fortinbras. You could feel the mutual support. Just as missed lines and other mistakes play off one another and can spiral downward into fiasco, the rhythm of the room can go the other way, too. Strong lines beget better performances. The gang of Hamlets came together in a way they hadn't before. That little mob seemed like one voice. But the real surprise for me that last night was Hutch.
9: I'm more an antique Roman than a Dane. There's still yet some liquor left.
5: It's here that Hutch's Horatio delivers his most famous line. The play is almost over. He's surrounded by corpses and speaks to his dying friend Hamlet. In the other performances, I always thought Hutch had been plagued by what you might call the Jack Nicholson syndrome. The actor's persona is bigger than any role he might play. But tonight, Horatio has Hutch under control and the audience in his hand. He has the one great line to deliver, and as Hutch might say, he nails it.
9: Now, Craig's the noble heart. Good night, sweet prince, and flights of angels sing thee to thy rest.
5: So Hamlet dies, and Fortinbras takes over, and then the drums of Hamlet's funeral begin. On other stages, a curtain would fall, but here, beneath the cafeteria's unforgiving fluorescence, the actors just stop. From the back of the room, Agnes says simply, End of play. The audience tonight is a mix of St. Louis's artistic elite. It's a theater crowd, polite, well-dressed people. Many of them have helped fund this production. They want and fully expect to meet the talent afterwards. And for many of the actors, this moment, they call it the cast party, is the most prized. James Ward and Edgar Evans mentioned it specifically when I talked to them. Just the chance to stand around in a room full of normal people, drink a Coke, and carry on about the play, the future, the weather, the freedom to chat and mingle like you were in the lobby of a theater instead of a bulletproof visiting room.
10: Hey, how you doing? I'm doing well. Great.
8: Thank you, Good to see you. my <laughs> Yeah, you come to all of them. Yeah, I appreciate it, we thank you. Thank you
7: very much.
5: In a high-security prison, though, when a play is over, it's over. No sooner have the bows finished than Danny, who doubles as the stage manager, turns right around and starts frantically striking the set. The guards had informed everyone that they'd have about ten minutes for the cast party. Like any play, all the work was for this moment, to get to the end of the last performance successfully. And now that it's here, these few minutes are shot through with a kind of melancholy. In the side room, everyone sees him, is the guard waiting to strip-search them back into the yard. He wears a dull expression on his face and rubber gloves on his hands. But that would be ten minutes from now. There is still time for pretending.
10: Thank you, sir. Thanks for coming out. Appreciate the
5: support. I really like this act. I, I like the it was so complicated. According to the prison commissioner, 97% of the people locked up today will someday join us on the outside. Manuel is leaving for a halfway house in 48 hours. He could have been out weeks before, but chose to stay in prison so he could finish the play. Hutch has a scheduled date for release, and a few more of the cast have parole board hearings coming up to decide whether they have changed enough and should be allowed to mingle with us on the outside. To that extent, this whole night, including the cast party, is just another rehearsal.
1: Thanks for coming. Oh,
3: well, you were great. Thank
1: you. I'm glad <laughs> so, to enjoy it.
3: So you, uh, you think you like the uh, performing? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> well, you're very good.
1: I've feeling hell with as a matter of
0: fact. Jack Hitt lives in New Haven. Since we first aired this program in 2002, Manuel, Tim, Edgar, and Hutch have all been released from prison. They still get together, though, regularly, with Agnes' group Prison Performing Arts in St. Louis to study, talk about, and perform Shakespeare plays. Chris, Bratt, and Stan are still serving time and are also currently working on a production of Richard III with Agnes in prison. Danny and James are also still in prison but have moved to facilities that don't have prison performing arts programs. You can find out more about Agnes' group at prisonperformingarts.org.
4: Rodder, why don't you come to
0: This program is produced today by Alex Bloomberg with Starley Kine, Wendy Doerr, Jonathan Goldstein, and me. Our senior producer is Julie Snyder. Special thanks today to Eugene Stubblefeld, Dale Glass, Avatar Productions, Tim Kneest, Commissioner Kruppner, John Fusier, Laura Moeller, Terrence Knapp, and Larry Artrick. This American Life is distributed by Public Radio International. This American Life is brought to you by Volkswagen. When you get into a Volkswagen, it gets into you. And by The Economist magazine, which tells not only what's happening around the world each week, but why. The Economist at newsstands and bookstores and at economist.com. WBEZ Management Oversight for our show by Mr. Tori Malatia, or as we like to call him, Shamu.
9: I control the killer whales, and I can eat up the minnows if I want. I'm
0: Eric Glass, back next week with more stories of this American life.
9: PRI Public Radio International.